You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Oshakura, Ravens Wire. And we have another Wednesday here, so we are crossing it over once again, this time with Locked On Steelers, Tony Serino and Chris Carter joined me today to talk about the Steelers and to talk about the Ravens. I'm going to ask them some questions about the Steelers. They're going to ask me some about the Ravens, and then we're going to get into some final score predictions. So Tony and Chris were great. I had a ton of fun talking to them, interviewing them. They had a lot of great things to say. I learned a lot about the Steelers, and they're a team that people are overlooking at the moment just because... Ben Roethlisberger is out for the year, and the defense hasn't been a strong shoot over the last few years, but that Bengals game, while it was the Bengals, they looked pretty good. So I had a lot of fun. It was a very interesting conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy. So first, we're going to get into Tony and Chris asking me some questions about the Ravens, getting the Steelers fans' perspective on this team. So here's what they had to say. This is going to be a big game between the Ravens and Steelers. It's, 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 such, it's so weird because Chris and I did a podcast on Friday talking about how, you know, who should be fired in in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh. We took a mailbag question about Mike Tomlin and, and Randy Feekner and all of that, right? And then the Ravens lose to the Browns on Sunday. And all of a sudden, it gives the Steelers just a little bit of glimmer of hope. And now we, here we go. This is, this is kind of a, a first-place matchup. So let's start there. Let's start with Baltimore and kind of the feeling in Baltimore right now. They start the season 2-0. They put up nearly 60 points on the Miami Dolphins. Seems like this is going to be... You know, the, the Lamar Jackson-led offense that John Harbaugh had been hyping up all offseason. But then just, you know, three weeks later now, it's a 2-2 two and two team coming off of back-to-back losses against Kansas City and now the Cleveland Browns. What is the feeling right now in Baltimore as to, you know, where this Ravens team is? Well, you hit on it perfectly. The first two weeks for Baltimore could really go no more perfect than it did. The Ravens, you know, blew out the Dolphins and then came back with a nice home opener win against the Cardinals. But with these two losses to the Chiefs and the Browns, people are starting to almost hit the panic button. Personally, I think September is too soon to hit the panic button, especially when you are 2-2. Two and two. And we know that the Chiefs are probably the best team in the NFL. We know that the Browns are going to put it all together sooner or later. And so two losses to those two teams. I was expecting the Ravens to come out with a win here. Unfortunately, we just could not get the job done. What the feeling is around Baltimore is that the offense here is not the problem. Lamar Jackson has improved as a passer so much. His decision-making has improved. His accuracy, his ability to fit the ball into tight windows. And he still is a great runner. He still can do things with his legs that I've never seen before. But the problem with the Ravens right now has to be their defense. And the last two weeks combined, the Ravens have given up over 70 points and over 1,000 yards, which... You look at the Ravens' history, that is not Raven football. The Ravens have been a defensive franchise for so many years, but with the losses of Eric Weddle, C.J. Mosley, Zadarius Smith, and the legendary Terrell Suggs, the Ravens had to go out. They signed Earl Thomas, who hasn't been good, but hasn't been bad. He's been kind of so-so. He has been somebody who is a guy who teams will avoid. They won't throw at him because they know how much ground he can cover, and they know how much ground that he can make up in a split second. 
But the Ravens have had to go and use young guys on defense. Patrick Owasso was the middle linebacker who took over for C.J. Mosley. He looks a bit lost out there. He actually lost the green dot on the helmet last week. They gave it to Tony Jefferson. Tony Jefferson hasn't looked great. He's more of a run-stuffing guy. The Ravens don't really use him as they should, which they're trying to get him to be more of a cover guy, but he's really a run-stuffer. The pass rush has been pretty non-existent. The Ravens, I believe, only have eight sacks this year. The Ravens have been looking for young guys to step up, and they just haven't done it. The Ravens cut Tim Williams, a third-round pick three years ago, because he just did not produce, and the Ravens are looking for any help they can get on the defensive side of the ball. So that's where the Ravens fans are a little scared and worried right now, but hopefully they can turn it around. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk was about the edge guys. I, I saw the release of Tim Williams. He was a guy that I liked coming to Alabama as a project that you could build on him and 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 make him into a pass rusher. But uh, you know, obviously that wasn't working in Baltimore. What what's going on with with the edge guys? Because because right now you guys got Judon, you guys got McPhee, and you still got Tyus Bowser. You know, so what do you, what is your feeling? Like, are they at least contributing against the run? Well, you talked about it, and you hit on a few key points there. The Ravens' edge guys against the run have not been up to par and up to the standard that the Ravens usually look for. On that 188-yard touchdown play, the outside linebacker Tyus Bowser ended up pulling and not setting the edge well. There was able to be a hole opened up, and Patrick Owasso ended up playing on his hip, and they both kind of ran right past him. Tony Jefferson was running to the sideline. I don't know where he was going, but there was just a lot of plays against the Browns where the edge defenders couldn't set the run. The problem with Tim Williams, who was the guy who got released, that he had was he would go inside to try to force pressure from mm. the inside, and the running back would just bounce it out, get a 15-yard gain. We saw that against the Chiefs with Shady McCoy. McCoy just beat the Ravens with those outside runs because the linebackers could not hold the edge. Matthew Judon has been playing exceptionally well outside of that Cleveland game. He has three sacks this year, which leads the team. But you mentioned Pernell McPhee, who was a signing from God at this point, it looks like, because the Ravens just don't have anybody else. It's been the Judon and McPhee show. Even the interior pass rush has not been up to par. The Ravens aren't getting a lot of pressure. Against the Browns, the Ravens had one sack against Baker Mayfield, and it came on the third play of the game. The Ravens need to get more pass rush, and they also need to get more interior run help, as well as just the outside guys setting the edge, because Terrell Suggs was so good at that. He knew how to set the edge. He knew how to have the running backs play into what he wanted. But now that the Ravens are getting younger and the Ravens are going through kind of a youth movement, it has to be known that the Ravens are teaching these guys to do it. And it's not going to come overnight. The guys are going to have to learn. They're going to make some mistakes. But with the Ravens winning the North last year, there were a lot of expectations. And so far, the edge guys have not lived up to those. Going back to the offensive side, you know, you talked about Lamar Jackson and what an improved player he is this year. Uh, and, and, you know, th- those first couple weeks, he was amazing. But has that offense taken a step back these last couple weeks, or is this more about the matchup? I mean, Kansas City is a tough matchup for anybody. They're one of the best teams in the AFC and really in the entire NFL. And then you have that Browns game from this week. You know, is that more about the Browns, you think, coming into them into their own? Or is there more to read in as far as the way Baltimore is playing offense right now? Well, you look at the last two weeks against Kansas City and against Cleveland. Lamar Jackson against Kansas City had 22 completions out of 43 attempts with 267 yards. No touchdowns that week, but I think that he was in his head a little bit. He was wanting to prove that, you know, this was the Lamar Mahomes show. Lamar wanted to come out, beat the Chiefs. The Ravens lost a heartbreaker in Kansas City last year. Lamar wanted revenge for that. Lamar does not like losing. And I think he was in his head a bit. He missed a few open throws that really could have changed the game and dictated a better outcome for the Ravens. Overall, Jackson has been a guy these last two weeks who, you know, just looks like a young guy learning. And, you know, people knew that his stats against Miami and Arizona 
really wouldn't hold up for the whole year. That would have just been, you know, too good to be true. But against Cleveland, I thought that he actually played pretty solid. He had 24 completions out of 34 attempts, 247 yards, three touchdowns, and then two interceptions that really weren't his fault. He ended up having to play the score through a deep shot to Mark Andrews where the safety made a tremendous play jumping over the top. Then the second play, there was pressure. A guy came untouched, hit Lamar Jackson in the hand. The ball came out. The defensive lineman tapped it to himself and then picked it off. So that was a pretty impressive play by Cleveland. Overall, Lamar Jackson just wants to prove to people that he is a quarterback. We've seen the comments, you know, not bad for a running back. People wanting him to change to wide receiver coming out of the draft. And Lamar Jackson is a quarterback, every Ravens fan will tell you. And I think the national media is starting to pick up on it as well. But the issue with that is that when Lamar loses a game or Lamar doesn't have the best game, people say, oh, is he a quarterback? And it's just a young guy learning. You know, he's started less than 15 total games in the league so far. He has a playoff game under his belt. He led the Ravens to an AFC North championship. I think that Lamar is just learning and he's improved so much. And if that jump happens from year two to year three next offseason, the rest of the league should watch out. No, yeah, I agree with you because um, I, I do think Lamar Jackson has always gotten a bad rap. I, I wrote about him before the before he was drafted and thought that, you know, this this guy would actually be a fit if he had some weapons around him just for the way he plays. He has a strong arm. Uh, and, and I like the way he plays. And I think that the, the Ravens are keeping him in the right direction for where his career is going. Um, but I, I got to flip back to the defense because I, I have another question with as far as the, the cornerback situation. You know, Jimmy Smith, he's, he's been hurt. And, you know, it's been it's been rough with life, life without him. Uh, you saw Marlon Humphrey getting into it with Odell Beckham Jr. That last last week. And there was the whole question. Was, oh, was he choking him? Did Odell punch him and all, all that other stuff? But what what's your opinion as far as the consistency from their cornerbacks? Because you know, the, the Steelers are, are, are a team that for years the cornerback was a major weakness on the team. And now it's become a strength with Hayden and Nelson both playing really strong on the outside. You know, the Steelers haven't been really using too much of their receivers, but they were able to exploit Drake Kirkpatrick on, the, on, a, on a deep pass from Mason Rudolph last week. Um, and, and I can see them trying to maybe open up their offense a little bit more now that Mason Rudolph has a wind under his belt. What are you seeing out of Humphrey and uh, the rest of the cornerbacks as far as how they're adjusting and life without Jimmy Smith? It's been tough to adjust to life without Jimmy Smith. And you talk about the cornerback group as a whole for Baltimore. It's not just Jimmy Smith. The Ravens lost Tavon Young to a neck injury, who is the best slot cornerback on this team and is one of the best in the NFL. And he's kind of an underrated guy. Not a lot of people know about him. But what Tavon Young brought to this team was a guy who could match up against, you know, a Jarvis Landry in the slot, a Julian Edelman in the slot, and really hold them in check. What the Ravens have seen now is they've had to put Brandon Carr in the slot. They've experimented with players like Anthony Averett, who was a fourth-round guy last year in the slot, Maurice Kennedy, who hasn't been the best over his years, but actually had a very strong game against Cleveland. What the Ravens are learning very quickly is that what was once a strength and what was once the deepest position on the team with two starters out, they've had to rely on Marlon Humphrey. They've had to rely on Brandon Carr. And Brandon Carr is getting up there in age. He can't play man like he used to. He's, I still think he's a fine cornerback and a fine player. But what the Ravens are seeing is that teams are starting to exploit him in man covers and on one-on-one battles receivers will just burn him up the sideline because he has lost a step and I think that he is learning that and the Ravens with Jimmy Smith they like to employ their three cornerback rotation so they would put Tavon Young in the slot and then alternate the three of Humphrey Carr 
and Jimmy Smith in and out of the game. So they wouldn't be tired and they would be fresh throughout the entire game. But now you see with Jimmy Smith out, Humphrey has to play a full set of snaps. Brandon Carr has to play a full set of snaps. And you go back to the pass rush. The pass rush isn't getting pressure. So the secondary is being asked to cover for four or five seconds. And what I think you guys both know and I know as well is that in the NFL, secondaries can't hold up for that long. If there is not pressure on the quarterback, he will just sit and wait for someone to get open. And nine times out of 10, that will happen. Anthony Abert hasn't been very impressive. He was kind of thrown into the starting role after Jimmy Smith went down. This was supposed to be more of a developmental year for him, but he really hasn't looked up to par right now. And I think that he has the tools to be a solid cornerback, but I thought that he would develop a little bit more, but he's had to be thrown into the fire. Maurice Kennedy was actually cut and was actually paid the highest amount of money on a practice squad throughout the entire league. They brought him back up, struggled against Kansas City, but came back against Cleveland, had an interception, a few nice pass breakups. So maybe they look to him for more snaps. But overall, the secondary is being overworked. But we are going to go to break. And when we come back, I'm going to be asking Tony and Chris some questions about the Steelers. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But before we do that, 3 million people already use Dave to save up to $1,000 a year on overdraft fees. That's why it's the number one budgeting app in the App Store. Go to dave.com slash locked on and never pay another overdraft fee again. Also, it's Wednesday, so let's talk about the bedroom. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Blue Chew is a better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. We are back here with this Crossover Wednesday episode between Locked On Ravens and Locked On Steelers. Kevin Ostreicher here with Tony Serino and Chris Carter. And guys, I just want to jump right into this because there's so much to talk about with the Steelers team from losing Ben Roethlisberger, trading for Minka Fitzpatrick. There's just been so much that goes on, and that's not even getting into the offseason. But I want to start with Mason Rudolph because he's been tasked with carrying this team, and the Steelers had a impressive win against the Bengals. And so I want to hear from you guys about how Mason has been looking, how he's been performing, and what do you expect from him for the rest of the year? Well, you know, you go back to that game against San Francisco, and it was it was a bad performance for Mason. There's really no other way to frame it. Uh, he only threw two passes that went more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. You know, the last, or he, he only completed two passes beyond one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. And the last quarterback to do that was Tim Tebow. So it was a very bad performance. Now, a lot of fans coming out of that game said, look, you know, Feekner's got to open up this offense for Mason. It was too much short passing. He's got to let him sling it, right, and all of that. And, you know, you went into this game, and really what the Steelers did was the exact opposite. They, you know, they went to Wildcat. They went to this this little drop play, the, the, the jet sweep. They kept everything within a very confined structure for Mason Rudolph. And, you know, going up against a very bad Bengals defense, he had a ton of success. The, the problem that I think Steeler fans have coming out of that game is how much of that is going to be replicated here you know, for the next couple weeks because that was a bad Bengals team. This was the perfect situation for the Steelers being on a Monday night game in a must-win situation at home against that bad Bengals defense. So you know, Mason had a very good game, and he had a, he had a very good second half against the Seattle Seahawks. That kind of gets lost in this with how bad he did 
against the 49ers. At some point, there's going to be a defense that's going to force him to drop back and, and sling it, as the fans want him to do. Um, right now, it doesn't seem like Tomlin and Feekner have the confidence to let him do that, but they're also finding creative ways to get this offense moving. And Kevin, I got to tell you, this offense had not moved before last week with consistency. Uh, and, and I'm going all the way back to when Ben Roethlisberger was healthy. You go back to that game against the Patriots. Not only did they only score three points, they didn't move the football. I mean, they, they had a hard time just getting first downs in that game. And it didn't get much better against Seattle, especially in the first half with Ben. It really took Mason coming in in the second half to get this offense moving. So it's been a problem all year. This was the most creative we've seen Randy Feekner get with Mason. Um, he's gonna have. I think he's going to have to continue getting creative because Mason is still missing open receivers downfield. It's, it's one of the weakest parts of his game, which is reading a defense after the play starts. So that's going to be something to watch for him going forward. But right now, Randy Feekner is going to design him to not have to do that and, and to get this, uh, get this offense moving in, in different ways. Going on to the running backs, James Conner is a guy who hasn't impressed as much as he did last season in that Pro Bowl year in 2018, you know, 291 rushes, 1,256 yards on the ground and 13 touchdowns. But this year, he's only averaging 3.2 yards a carry compared to that 4.3 last year. Where has it gone wrong with Connor? Well, a lot of it, uh, it has been really just on the, uh, the, the fact that teams have been rushing to the line of scrimmage. Every game, uh, the, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Niners, they, they, they were – they would rush up right to the line, you know, whether it was a run or not, and they would try to take away every gap to force to stop James Conner from getting going. Because, I mean, anyone who watched the Steelers last year, the Steelers never lost when James Conner ran for over 100 yards in 2018. Teams have been adamant at stopping that. And the problem has been the Steelers haven't been consistent in a passing game, and it hasn't forced any linebacker or any safety that wants to jump up in the box or aggressively jump into a gap. It hasn't stopped anyone from wanting to play that and get up there and stop that, and and that's been the issue. And I, I said this last year. A lot of Steelers fans thought, oh well, you know, he's he's better than Le'Veon Bell, or he he completely you know he completely makes up for the loss. I'm like, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, people, because Bell. One thing he did was, if there was a person in the backfield, he'd make them miss and still get four or five yards. Connor's success comes when he's given a hole and he has a head of steam, and then he bowls forward. And then he's able to make people miss at that second level. And that's where he gets his extra yards. But it does not come behind the line of scrimmage. And that's where he's that's where he's been struggling. The you know, I, I don't put that all on him. He had a fumble that, that uh that you know helped that helped them lose the Niners game. That was on him. Uh, but mo for the most part, it's been because teams have been happy to clog the holes up front. And, uh, you know, and the fact that no one respected, I mean, the Patriots, when, when they were playing the Steelers, the same thing with the Seahawks, they didn't respect Ben Roethlisberger's ability to throw the ball. And, uh, and, and over time, you know, Ben couldn't connect with people downfield. And then when they tried to run the ball, they were waiting there for it the entire game. And that, that was really the recipe. And then Mason Roth came in against the Niners, uh, and it, it was kind of the same thing. Um, I think what changed with the Bengals was the fact that instead of trying to get vertical, the Steelers went horizontal with their offense. They spread them out. They forced them to think about, you know, which gaps to cover. You know, they said, oh, we're going to run this option. You know, let's, let's see, you know, how well does your edge player stay disciplined? And that's why I asked you about the edge players because that was a huge point that they exploited for, on the Bengals. Um, you know, I think the Ravens are going to have to watch for those edge moments. You know, if, if Jalen Samuels gets the ball, he wants to pitch it to James Conner like he did. Mike Tomlin said in his, his uh, press conference this week, he said, you're not going to see a whole lot of that moving forward because the Steelers were down two tight ends 
and, uh, and and their starting fullback. So that that was kind of making making do with what they had. A lot of the, the the problems in the run game is because the passing game hasn't been there, and no team you know has decided to back off the ground game. Uh, and uh, to further along, you know what Tony was talking about. You know people were talking about Feetner needs to drop the offense better, but you know the the options were there, right? You know he admitted he sort of he said this last Friday going into the weekend. Um, you know and, you know people were like, wow, he threw he threw Rudolph under the bus, but he he basically said. You know, I drew up the plays for Rudolph to take his shots, and there were wide open wide receivers. He didn't throw to them, and that's uh, and, and that's the truth. Uh, you know, when you look at the All 22, you can see guys running down the field: Vance McDonald, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, Deontay Johnson, just one-on-one coverage or even open, and and he wasn't looking at them. And it was more of the same in this Bengals game. Uh, there were times, there was one time James Washington in the red zone is being single covered by a defensive end, and James Washington who played in college with Mason Rudolph and in the preseason, and they've been unstoppable together, didn't even get looked at when that happened. And, and that's where I think Mason Rudolph's biggest deficiency is, and that has led to the run game struggling because teams are just playing to stop the run. And I think if the Ravens bank on that and they stop the run and they force Mason Rudolph to throw down the field, it's going to test him in, in, a, in a way that he's been uncomfortable, and maybe that's how you can get Earl Thomas to get active because then he's looking over the middle and Earl Thomas can do what he does and pick and, and pick and play with him. Minka Fitzpatrick was this team's big acquisition, trading away their 2020 first-round pick for him, which is a pretty big haul from Miami along with a few minor pieces. But I'm interested to hear because the Ravens were interested in trading for Fitzpatrick and kind of had him on their radar. What have you seen out of Fitzpatrick, and what were your initial reactions to the trade? I, I thought the Minka Fitzpatrick trade was 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 perfect for what they needed. They needed a free safety. Sean Davis is going to have to go on the short term IR, um, and that really put a hole because they were they were going to have to rely on Cameron Kelly, the AAF safety they signed in the off season, um, and not just for the short term. But Minka Fitzpatrick, being only 22 years old, uh, he he's a guy that fills a spot. They really wanted him in in 2018. They were never going to get him because of how high he was going to go. But he fills a spot that they absolutely need and. Already, they've you can see the impact, the communication level, the way they're passing off players in the secondary. It's already sharply improving. Um, he's already forced a fumble and had an interception. Um, you know, in in just in just the first week he was with the Steelers, he he didn't make any splash plays against the Bengals. But I think a lot of that was because the defensive front was making all the splash plays with the sacks and the forced fumbles and everything like that. Um, but Mika Fitzpatrick lived up living up to the hype entirely. Um, I, I think that he, him and Devin Bush as a tandem are going to be some evil. They're going to be an evil duo in this uh, in, in the AFC North for some for the next eight, 10 years, because that they're both fast. They're both they both have that lateral speed that covers ground. They both are good at finding the football and, 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 and taking advantage of big plays. Um, and they're going to they're going to grow in their chemistry. And that's not to make light of Terrell Edmonds. Who also is, you know, a guy that can move move about the field. He lacks the ball skills that those two guys have. But uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, absolutely living up to the hype. Um, you know, some people were were, were kind of upset about it in Pittsburgh because they're like, oh man, you lost Ben Roethlisberger. This might be your first ever chance to get a super high pick. And uh, but I mean, the thing is, is that the reality is that Minka Fitzpatrick represents a super high pick. Yeah, he was 11th in his draft. But I mean, ultimately, I, I felt he he should have gone top five in his draft. When you look at I mean, look at look at what he can do for for the Steelers, it could really push them a long way forward if he is that kind of X factor guy with Devin Bush, and then you still got T.J. Watt, 
and Stefan Tuitt's coming into his own, and Joe Hayden and Nelson on the corners. I mean, they, they have so many things working for them. Minka Fitzpatrick just filled a big hole in their in their roster and uh, probably in their, their, their core planning for the defense for years to come. Yeah, the Ravens aren't the only team going through a youth movement. I mean, you talked about it. The Steelers have a lot of young pieces who maybe this Ravens-Steelers rivalry gets rekindled in a few years with the star power that's potentially there. We are going to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to get into our final score predictions and how we think that this game is going to play out. So stay tuned and we will be right back. But before we do that, if you're looking for a place to bet on games this season, be sure to join my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Between football season, the MLB playoffs, and the start of the NHL and NBA seasons, it's time to get off the sideline and get into the action. If you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.a-g today. You play, you win, and you get paid. Welcome back, everybody, to Locked On Ravens on the special crossover Wednesday with Locked On Steelers. We're going to get into our final score predictions with Tony and Chris, so check out what we had to say. I want to ask you about the score predictions for this game because... I don't really know what you guys are thinking here because the Steelers put out a great showing against the Bengals. The Ravens haven't looked strong the past two weeks. So I'm interested to hear your perspectives on what this game is going to end up looking like. Well, it's it's an interesting one because it, it comes at such an interesting time for both teams, right? I mean, the Steelers were dead and buried a week ago. They were an 0-3 team, you know, staring at potentially an 0-4 record and losing to the Bengals on Monday night, right? And then, of course, you had the Ravens who were uh, excelling. And, and, you know, the Browns were the Browns, but you couldn't even make fun of the Browns because, the, meanwhile, the Steelers are 0-3. And everything changed this week. I mean, everything changed this week. Uh, with, the, with the Ravens' loss and the Steelers' win, all of a sudden, this has like a playoff feeling in Pittsburgh. I mean, this game is, this game is as important as they come. You know, it's, it's weird to say, you know, you have must-wins this early in the year. But, man, you know, if the Steelers win this game, it is season completely back on. So... Yeah, and then and then you look at what the Steelers have not done well this year, and what the Ravens do well, and we talk about that Steeler defense and and all the young talent that's on it, and can it come together? When is it finally going to gel, and when are we finally going to see the next great Steeler defense? What we saw on Monday night was like the trailer to that movie, right? We saw that we saw what this could look like if it all came together, and and it was fantastic. But that was against the Bengals, and they have a terrible offense. What happens when they go up up against a team that's going to test the discipline of this team, that's going to test the communication on the back end, um, that's going to use a lot of misdirection, running, you know, use the running game, which the Steelers have struggled with defensively. All of that is on the table against the Baltimore Ravens, and that's why I can't wait to see this game. Um, and then, you know, you talked about the, the struggles that Baltimore has had defensively. Is this the game that the Steelers finally unleash Mason Rudolph down the field a little more or have to? And how does he do against what is a weaker Ravens defense. I'm excited to watch this one. I I really am struggling with a score prediction right now. I am the hater of our of our duo here between me and Chris. I usually predict the Steelers to lose, and I got to tell you, by Friday I probably will. As I start talking myself into this, I probably will. But today, today, hype man Tony is still here, and I'm I'm living on a dream here. I got the Steelers winning this one, uh, 28-24, and and put bringing this season back on potentially. First place in the AFC North. I'm excited about where the Steelers team is right now. Jeez, Tony. You picked the Steelers to win? I did. Wow. I did. 
What? 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 <laughs> we're, in, Chris, we're in a magical dream world. Did you watch the game on Monday? We are in a magical dream world. The defense is here. Mason Rudolph can do no wrong. It's sunshine and rainbows. No, I mean, okay. Well, so here, here's my here's my biggest thing. Is one, the Steelers seem confident that they're going to get Vance McDonald back, and I think him and Vanette to, together could be a, could really help them as far as their blocking scheme goes, and. They might, they might reduce their wildcat, and I think that will allow them to test the Ravens in a lot of, lot of different places. I'm picking the Steelers. I, I had a rule. I said this on my, uh, my, my, my live cues session last week uh, for DKPittsburghSports.com where uh, someone asked me if I would pick against the Steelers in the next couple weeks, and uh, I said the only way I would pick the Steelers against the Ravens would be if A – the Ravens laid a complete egg against the Cleveland Browns. And if B, the Steelers came out and laid a complete smackdown on the Bengals. Well, A and B happened. So I got to follow through on my word. I got to pick the Steelers. I'm saying it's going to be close. I think that it's going to be, uh, it's, there's going to be some crazy wild plays that happen. I think the biggest factor that the Steelers have to account for, they have to, they cannot lose the trench war on defense and allow Mark Ingram to get going and Lamar Jackson to play off of that. They have to contain the run, keep them inside the tackles, and they need Barron and Bush. And Vince Williams is supposed to be back, which I think is a big boost for this defense because he's huge in that run-stopping effort. I think those guys need to, need to rush, get up there and stuff the linemen before they get to the second level and, uh, and hold down their gaps. That'll be how they slow down the Ravens' offense. And eventually, you'll get, you'll get Lamar Jackson maybe trying to throw the ball a little bit, and that's where you can try to take advantage of uh, and make some plays with this with this secondary, which now everyone's very confident in. So, and offensively, I think they got to test those edge guys. They got to they gotta sort of spread them out, isolate them, see see how good they are out in space, um, and take advantage. You know, if, if you give Brandon Carr and you're one-on-one, and this is what Mason Rowe didn't do, hasn't done enough for, enough for me as an evaluator, when you see James Washington or Juju or Deontay Johnson lined up outside with no safety over top, take the shot. Give these guys a chance. I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a true leader. He's, he's It's funny, he's still the youngest receiver in the Steelers receiving room, but he is clearly the leader of it. And the way that he picks other people up and celebrates them in their successes, even when he's not having the best statistical game, they got a lot going for them. I, I think they're on the way up. I think the Ravens are, are reeling right now. I think the Ravens have the makings of a good team, and I really like Lamar Jackson. Um, but I just think with the Steelers, what they have going on defensively, it'll be enough to create the turnovers that will help them establish the momentum in the game. And I have the Steelers winning 24-23. Kevin, I want to know from you, not only your score prediction for this game, but, you know, in Pittsburgh, it feels like a must win, right? I mean, they're 1-3. They're and three. They can't afford to go down to 1-4. and four. But in Baltimore, does this also feel like a must win? Because, boy, three straight losses, including a loss to the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger – feels like, you know, th- that could send the Ravens season into a tailspin of its own. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it is a must win just for that reason. Three straight losses, especially to a team without Ben Roethlisberger, would be pretty devastating. And I personally don't think that's going to happen. I am with you, Chris, where I think that it is going to be a close game. I actually think this is going to be a defensive shootout. And that's kind of weird for me to be saying right now because of how bad the Ravens defense was for the game against Cleveland, but I think that this Ravens defense is mad and they're going to come out and they're going to prove that that was just a one week thing. And with the Ravens literally not being able to stop a single thing on Sunday against Cleveland, 
That just can't happen again, and I don't think it will. Don Martindale will get his guys going. They have a lot of veteran leaders in that locker room. And if the Ravens dropped a 2-3 and three against the Steelers team, which has a lot of talent, but is working with a quarterback who is a young guy, and the Ravens usually feast on young quarterbacks just because of how advanced Don Martindale's scheme is, how many players he brings to the line, and then he'll drop a lot into coverage, or then he'll have guys come off the edge. And that usually frazzles rookie quarterbacks, second-year quarterbacks, young guys. And so I personally believe that with the talent on the Ravens' defense, they will bounce back. But I also believe with the talent on the Steelers' defense, you talked about Steven Nelson, who was a big pickup. You talk about Joe Hayden, who's coming into his own again. Talk about TJ Watt, Terrell Edmonds, Minka Fitzpatrick, all these guys. I think that with the Steelers being at home, where the Ravens actually have performed decently well over the last few years i personally think the ravens will come in and get a win but i think that's going to be close if i had to give a prediction here i'll say 17 to 14 ravens that is low scoring that would be a very that would i mean for the for the ravens to only put up 17 i mean that's got to be the problem right would be you know this ravens offense is is kind of built to put up big points and is lamar jackson the kind of quarterback that you trust in the fourth quarter right now when this team if this team let's say they're down right 14 10 and they have the ball with with two minutes to go is this offense built for that moment? I think they are. And the Ravens aren't going to get away from their identity, which is run the ball. We've seen that over the first four weeks of the season. We saw that last year. The run game works for them. And I think that they're going to use that a lot this Sunday. Lamar will have to, again, throw the ball to win the game, obviously. But I believe that if you're in the fourth quarter, three minutes, two minutes left, I believe that you'll see Lamar Jackson come out poised, come out looking like a quarterback. And while the Ravens might run on first down in a two-minute drill, which might be a little weird to you know the outsider, I believe that in a two-minute drill, the Ravens will run RPOs. They'll get Mark Andrews open over the middle, maybe throw a deep shot to Hollywood Brown. There are so many guys on this Ravens team who aren't stars but can do many different things, and thus the Steelers will have to be prepared for covering a shot deep or a slant over the middle or you know a comeback route, stuff like that. And as well as Mark Ingram's receiving abilities out of the backfield, we also have Justice Hill, who's a rookie running back. I think Lamar has the weapons around him, where if the Ravens were down by four points in the fourth quarter, he could lead a drive to help win the game.